go back to the place that we left off at. And uh, we left off after, you know, the golden calf was made and all of that. And, and uh, they, the, the, the people were sinning and they were playing and all that kind of stuff. And Moses is still up on the mountain. And we kind of went from what was happening until, and skipped the middle part, and then came to where Moses came back into the camp, saw what they were doing and, and was wondering what was going on and all that. And then, you know, there was judgment that was put upon them. Because he said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come over to me. And only one of the 12 tribes came over. And that was the Levites. And so they came over, and then he told the Levites to go and slay the people for their idolatry. Because they had broken the first commandments. And so I talked about, are we, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a, 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 a superior church? Are we going to be a, a great church? Are we going to be a great church made out of great people? And great people come over to the Lord's side. Amen? So that's a quick synopsis of what we did last week. So we're going to pick up the story now, starting in verse 7. Because we have a moral crisis that is going on. We have a moral crisis that is going on in our country. We have a moral crisis that's going on in the world. We have a moral crisis that's going on in California. We have a moral crisis that's going on in our cities. And we have a moral crisis that's going on in our, even in our own homes. And in church as well. And there's destructive ideologies that are taking over the church that aren't, if, if the disciples were here, they would be outraged at some of the things that are being said in churches today when it comes to society and how we should be a part of society and all of that kind of stuff. And when it comes to the morality and the breakdown of our society. And there's grave signs that secularism is taking over. That everything is becoming secular. That, every, that even churches, you know, so many, some, of, some of the big, bigger churches, it's more like you're going to a concert and an infomercial than you are actually being a church. Okay? That's okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I've, I've been there, done that. All right? But the point is, is that when it's all that, and the reality of fellowship and the reality of, of interaction and walking this life together as brothers and sisters in Christ is not a part of that formula, then we're missing it. So today we're going to take a look at how Moses is going to intercede for his people. But the question is, whose people are they? Whose people are they? And so we're going to talk a little bit about what Moses is trying to do, which is to put a hedge, to put something around the people, to protect the people whom he loves, because he brought them out of Egypt. He's done all these miracles. He has saved over and over. God, through Moses, has saved the people to become a great nation, he said. Now Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days. And the people didn't know what happened to him, and they decided to do what they did, which was to bake the golden calf. So let's continue on the story, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. He's back still up on the mountain. Go down at once for whose people? God is speaking to Moses, right? Okay. Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. 
They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your little G-God, O Israel, who, you brought, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And Moses said, and then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone that, I, that my anger may burn against him, that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Now, let me just explain what a hedge is before we get into this argument on whose people we're talking about. Hedges, first of all, are made by God. God had created the Ten Commandments as a hedge, as a hedge to keep people on the moral track of righteousness according to His standard. Not their standard, because we see what's going on down at the end of the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain. Their standard is to play. Their standard is to do whatever is fleshly, whatever satisfies themselves. Hello? Is this thing on? Does that sound familiar to our life? Don't we want that? Even as Christians, don't we want to satisfy our flesh? Many of you, when it gets to about 11.30, are wondering why I'm still talking. <laughs> because your flesh is talking to you. And you're already thinking, and you may have already made plans on where you're going to lunch today. And your mind goes there. And all of a sudden, you're perusing the, you're perusing the menu in your mind. And you're not responding to prayer. You're not responding to the altar call. You're not even responding to the message at that point. Right? Because our flesh wants what it wants. And our flesh wants what it wants when it wants it. That's even worse. And now we used to live in a crockpot society. Now we live in a microwave society. Any of you still have dial-up internet? You know, you hear the, you hear the sound. <laughs> you got, no? No? No. Dude, he's got, he's, he's got like next, next gen, you know. I mean, he's contacting aliens from Jupiter on his thing. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's so far above the curve, it's not even a, it's not even a curve anymore. No, but we had to get, you know, the next, the next generation after that was what, DSL? You know? And then DSL is T, T, T100 or T1000, I don't even know. And now there's the next, you know, fiber optics now. And, and, yeah, that's great. Thank you. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the, I mean, we've got to have it faster, quicker, faster, quicker, faster, quicker. You know? I mean, how many of you have microwaves at your house? How, do, how did we survive until we got microwaves? How do we, you kidding me? My mom would start cooking at 3 o'clock to have dinner ready by 4.30 by my time my dad got home. 3 o'clock! Like the world ended and my, my mom was in the kitchen. And just like, you hear pans flying and all kinds of stuff going on in there. It was amazing. And then they got a microwave. My mom never cooked again. And everything came out faster. But oh, was it horrible. God puts hedges around his people for a reason. In fact, we find in Job chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, 
Have you not put a hedge around him? Meaning Job, this is the devil talking to God. And his household and everything he has, you have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds will spread throughout the land. Remove the hedge and he will curse you to your face. God puts hedges. But yet, you guess where we are? No, 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 we're inside the hedge. But guess what we have with us? A hedge trimmer. And we try to break out of the hedge. We like, we turn that thing on. I want to do what I want to do. And I need to make spaces between the hedge so I can get out of the hedge when I want to get out and come back into the hedge when it's time to come back in. You know? No, God puts a hedge around his people to protect them from all the stuff that's outside the hedge, all the stuff that is detrimental to their life, all the stuff that now they are doing at the bottom of the hill. They're playing. He calls it playing. Okay? But they're sinning because they go right to the jugular. That's what we do. We go right for the jugular. We don't mess around. You know? When it comes to sin, we just want to go and do it. We don't even mess around. They don't mess around. They go for the number one commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods but me. What do they do? They make a golden calf. This is our God that brought us out of Egypt. What? How many times is Moses standing before them? Watch while your God saves you. While your God delivers you. Watch what he does. Puts up the rod, the ocean parts. Brings down the rod, the ocean covers all their enemies. Because he told them before they even went in, this day you shall see the Lord give you victory over your enemies. And then they sang the song of Moses. Oh, how happy they were. Now it's the calf they should be singing to. And they were singing to it. And they were sacrificing to it. And they were playing around it. And they let their lust go. And all kinds of craziness was happening. Sin destroys the hedge. So he said he would destroy them. Let's continue on. And Moses entreated the Lord, verse 11, his God, and said, O Lord, why doth thine anger burn against thy people, whom thou hast brought from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm to thy people. Moses goes back and he reminds God, whose people are they? Whose people are you? Do you wake up in the morning and think it's your day? This is all about you. What you make of the day is what you make of the day. It's under your power. If you believe in Jesus Christ, somewhere in your life, you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you don't have the right to say that. You made a transfer. Let me, be, let me, let me even get more, more simplistic with this. A slave back in early America had no right to go to his master who bought him off of a slave, slave boat at the marketplace legally with all the papers and say, I am not your slave. Couldn't do that. They'd kill him right there on the spot. I know that's, a, that, that's 
we don't live like that anymore. Praise God for that. But that's the way it was. That's the way it was. You can, you can go back even earlier to all kinds of different... Even Israel was enslaved. And they, they could not rise up against their master and say no. They couldn't do that because it would cost them their life. <coughs> Luckily, we have a master who's a little bit more gracious. Luckily, we have a master who really loves us and cares about us. But yet, the transfer is the same. You, you decided in your own mind to give your life to Jesus. You made that choice. Jesus offered his life to you, but you made the choice to accept it. You have no right to live your own life anymore. The Apostle Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. That's it. That, that argument is done. So when you get up in the morning or as you're living out your day, as you're walking around this planet and you decide, you know what, I'm going to do things my way today. I'm really not going to be God's person today. I'm going to take my hedge trimmer out and I'm going to trim a swath out of the hedge so I can go do what I want to do, so I can go play. You're denying who you are and who you belong to. You, know, you may not think that, but that's what you are doing. You're actually doing that. Now, I know all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I know we all make mistakes. We all, you know, there's a reason why he told Peter, when Peter came to him and said, hey, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to three times? Jesus says, no, seven times 70. You know why he said that? Any ideas? We do interactive church here if you're new with us. I ask questions, you respond. Okay, huh? Because it's a lot? Because we constantly need forgiveness? It's a constant thing. Because we're met, yeah, we screw up, we mess up. Can I make it really simple? Really, really simple? Because that's what he does for, does for you. He's being the example. Just real quickly, go back to yesterday. I'll give you grace this morning that you're perfect. But let's go back to yesterday. Were you 100% sinless yesterday? If you are, raise your hand. I'd like to know how you did it. One hundred percent sinless. Then you got out of bed. Yeah, yeah. Was, I meant the whole twenty-four hour period. Sorry. <laughs> Seriously, anybody? You can't tell me with a straight face that you were sinless yesterday, unless you decided to sleep all day and have no dreams. None of us can do that, because. I know in the Old Testament time, God looked at our actions. But in the New Testament, Jesus not only looks at our actions, he also looks at our motives. And he also looks at our thoughts. So you might have made it sinless in your actions yesterday, but did you make it sinless in your mind? Did you make it sinless in your heart? No, none of us did. Guess what? He forgave you, he forgave you every time you did that yesterday. Add those up over a week. Add those up over a month. Add those up over a year. Add those up since you've been a Christian. Is it 70 times 70? Just a tad more, probably, yeah. 
just a tap. But yet he continues to forgive us. He continues to want to set us free from those things. He continues to give us the power to succeed. We are his righteousness because we are not righteous. We can't be. None of us, the Bible says, can stand before God and say, I am here because I am perfect. None of us can do that. The Bible says you can't. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there needs to be a hedge. Luckily for us, Jesus is our hedge. And so, but we have to live within the hedge to get the benefits of the hedge. So, an intercessor is needed because there was a breach. So let's talk about the crucial need for intercessor. God has a love for Israel. He has a love for sinners. Israel is represented by the by the sinners. And God loves them, even though they're being disobedient. Even though. I think if I was Moses and God said that these are, this is an obstinate people, you know what I would have said? You picked them! You did, you. In fact, he goes into the covenant. Next, in fact, let's read that real quick. Let's read that real quick. Verse 13. Remember Abraham? God, you remember Abraham? You remember that guy? You remember Isaac and Israel? Thy servants to whom thou didst swear by thyself. You made a promise by your own promise, by your own power, which you cannot deny because then you wouldn't be God. It's kind of like that argument, can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift? And then the other person says, well, I thought... Don't you say God can do anything? Yeah, he can do anything. Well, can he make a rock so big that he can't lift? Well, then he can't do anything. So you can't do anything outside of his character. Okay? It's a character issue. And here, when it comes to his character, when he swears on himself, there is no higher power he can swear to. So it has to be done. And so he makes a promise to thy servants Thou didst swear by thyself, and didst say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land which I have spoken I will give your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Moses reminds God of his own word. How can he destroy the people when he made a promise to those people? He can't. He can't do that. And so Moses goes back to him. He intercedes, and he says, you can't do that. They're an obstinate people. You are right, but you picked them. And not only that, you brought them out of Egypt. They're your people, and you did it by your hand, and you did it by your power. I'm just the guy holding the staff. I'm just the guy leading the charge. I'm just the guy obeying what you said. Go bring my people out of Egypt to this mountain. I'm at the mountain. Oh, me and God would have had a little wrestling match. And trust me, he would have won. But the point is, I would have thrown it back on him. Were you blaming me, my people? I was born and raised Egyptian. Right? His heritage, he was born of Hebrews, but he was thought he was the son 
of Pharaoh's sister. It's what he thought, what he knew. It wasn't until that old lady mammoth, remember her? Pulls it out, who's this? Anyway, I digress. The point is, is that he, he got drugged into this thing. Seriously. He did. And he said, he said, what am I supposed to say when I get down there? Oh, I'll give you what to say. You just say it. Uh, uh, how are they going to know? I mean, they, I'm one of them, and they're not, they're not going to know me from any. What power do I have? I killed an Egyptian. I'm, I'm in exile. Don't worry. I'll go before you. I can't even speak right. Okay, don't worry. I'm going to give you your brother. He's an eloquent speaker. He doesn't have a spine, but he's an eloquent speaker. <laughs> yeah, like me. I understand how that turned out. The point is, is that God provides the hedge and an intercessor, and the intercessor goes back and reminds God of his promise. Even though he could be zotted out at a moment for arguing with God. Do you get that? He's on holy, he's on holy ground with God having this conversation. And so he goes and he says, Lord, turn aside from your wrath and your anger. Yes, this is a bad people. Yes, they're kind of like that. But you know what? I need, you to, I need you to remember your promise. I need you to remember your word. Now, God tells him to leave him alone. Did you see that? God says, leave me alone so my anger will burn and I can destroy the people and then I will make you a great nation. A couple of things going on there. God commands him to leave him alone. Moses disobeys because he turns around and argues with God. He says, wait a minute. Hold on from your fierce anger. Wait a second. He's doing that to God, creator of all the universe, maker that is all of it. And in fact, we're going to find out that God does something impossible right in front of his face. And so he says, no, don't do that. Oh, oh, oh. So he disobeys his command because his command will tear apart his world, will blow up God's promise. And so he reiterates the promise and he goes back to God and says, don't let your anger burn. Don't do that, God, because you made a promise and you don't want your word or your image to be stained. Okay, here's, here's a big one for us. We, bear, we wear a big C on our chest, don't we, every day? People who know us. How are we representing our Lord every day? How do we represent? We should be. But we have a problem. It's called us. <laughs> It's called, it's called our past. It's called our way of being. It's called, no, that's just the way I am. I was at a church, and there was a, a woman at the church, and she was just nasty. Nasty. And short, and not complimentary, and just, just nasty. But she thought she was one of the pillars of the church. And every time it came around to, you know, kind of making elders and, you know, we had to, every two years had to bring a new elder in and all that. That was just part of the polity of the church. She was always putting her name in. 
and politicking, to put her name. And I never, I, I said that she cannot be an elder. Why? Because she doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. She has the fruit of bitterness. If I want some vinegar in my balsamic, I call her. She's just bitter. She may know the word, but she ain't living it according to the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness, kindness, love, patience, peace. Those things weren't there, you know? And so, but for her, when confronted with those things, because finally we had a conversation, she goes, why can't I be this? I said, because you're not exhibiting the, the fruits of the Spirit. She goes, but I have the Holy Spirit. I go, where? Where are you hiding him? What walls have you put up to not allow yourself to have the freedom to love as Christ commands us to love? What are you doing? And she goes, that's just the way I am. That's how I was grown up. That's just the way I am. People understand that about me, and they love me just the way I am. Okay. I know Jesus does, but you're not going to be an elder <laughs> because you don't exhibit what has been given to you. You don't exhibit what's been given to you. Hide it away. Remember the parable of the talents? Right? One was given one. The other one was given five, and one was given ten, right? And the one that had ten doubled it. The one that had five doubled it. Went out, did, took some chances, went out there, took the gifts that were given to him, and went out and did something. And then the one who had one hit it. What happened to his uh, talent besides getting dirt on it? Okay, got, Jesus took it away from him, or the story is, the master took it away from him and did what? gave it to the one who had ten. The one who demonstrated the most faith according to what was given to him. You, you want to you live life the way you want to live life? Go right ahead. More power to you. Take your hedge trimmer and trim out your hedge and you know, run. Go for it. But don't expect God's blessing. Don't expect don't expect all this great stuff from God, all these promises from God, and you're creating breaches every five seconds. How are you going to... You know what ended up... We talked about it last week. What ended up when Moses came back and he said, whoever's on God's side, come over to me, to the mountain, and just the tribe of Levi came over. You know what he told the tribe of Levi to do? I closed with this last week. Yeah, take your swords out and go start whacking heads. And that's exactly what he killed. He killed fathers, he killed brothers, he killed sons. They went out and they just started whacking heads. Why? Because they had made a choice. They made a choice to follow the calf and not God. They decided, no, we're going to give calf the glory, not God. You've got to make a choice. So Moses, I'm going to just quickly go through these. Moses gives five arguments to persuade God to relent and give forgiveness to the people. He gives five arguments. And it starts in verse 7. First of all, they're your people. They're not my people, God. They're your people. Let's get this straight. You called them out of Egypt. You said, they're gonna, you're going to make them a mighty nation. 
you're going to, by your hand, you said that, God, when I was before the burning bush and you told me to go, you said they were your people. You said, I have heard the cry of who? Whose people? Now, what did he say? My people. I have heard the cries of bondage. My people's bondage. He knows they're his people. Even though he says to Moses, hey, they're yours. They're obstinate. They're unruly. Yeah, yeah. But you picked them. That's number one. So he had to remind him of whose people they are. Next thing, verse 11, he says, God, don't, don't ever forget either. You have done great things for them. He reminds him the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the, 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 the pillar of smoke or pillar of fire by, day, by night and the, and the cloud by day in the middle of the desert. He reminded him, hey, out of nowhere, out of a rock, you made water for two million people. Wow, out of the desert. There was nothing there. It was desert. Now there's a huge lake. Not only that, God, they, you know, they couldn't eat. We couldn't, we couldn't stop at you know, the McDonald's out there because it hadn't been invented yet. And so you made manna for them to eat. And when they got tired of the manna, Lord, you heard their cry again, and you gave them quail. Ain't no trees out there. And you gave them quail. It's all sand. Quail. And they ate quail. He gave them all these things, these mighty things you have done. And so he reminds him of what God has done. Third one is the Lord's name, his name would be compromised. If his anger burns and he destroys them, his name will be compromised. Isn't that true? When we see Christians fail or fall, it's kind of like you wonder, huh, that's what kept me from becoming a Christian for years. From when, when I was maybe, you know, maybe 12 years old until I was 19 years old, that whole time frame. I just used this whole, everybody's, everybody's a hypocrite. I'm not going to be one because I would be a hypocrite. And so that whole thing kept me from salvation. And there's a few times in that time period, period I should have died, but only by the grace of God. He saved me from eternal damnation. He did that. Because he had a purpose. And so, but it, it, would, it would have gone bad for his name. And so we have to understand that, that his name would be compromised. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out for with evil intent? Okay? Lord, we don't, I don't know about you, but my prayer is that my life doesn't put a black eye on Jesus' face. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. But that by grace, I do the right thing. The next one is God, your covenant will fail. You can't go back on your word. It's your covenant. You've got to accomplish it. You can't go back on your word, Lord God. You made a covenant with them, and Lord, you need to accomplish it. In fact, in Jeremiah 1, 
12, Jeremiah says this about God and his covenant. God is watching over his word to perform it. God doesn't forget. Oh, he might be as old as the universe, but he does not forget any single word that comes out of his mouth. In fact, Jesus even reminds us of that. Not a jot or a tittle, not anything written down that God has spoken will not be accomplished. In fact, he came to fulfill every single bit of it. So don't think God is, oh, he's so old, he's so brave, you know, he's not even relevant for today. You know, his word from back in the day really doesn't count. It all counts. He doesn't forget. And then finally, Moses says this. Moses says that, you know what? Don't make a great nation out of me. If they go, I go. If they go, I go. That's in verse 32, if you want to turn over to it. He says, but now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of thy book, which thou hast written. He's saying, if you're going to kill off my people, take me with them. He identifies with his people. He identifies with the people God has brought them, or God has told him to bring out. And in the same way, you know, we need to understand that he is so in love with them that he says, if they go, I can't live. And I don't want, you know, Moses didn't have an ego. He had been second in command of all of Egypt. And God said, I'll make a great nation out of you. If God says he's going to make a great nation out of you, guess what? You're going to be a great nation. When he told Solomon, after Solomon prayed about understanding and having understanding to rule thy people, he said, because you didn't ask for riches or fame, I'm going to give you both of those too. You're going to be the wisest guy in the world, and you're going to be the richest guy in the world as well. And he gave him all of that. So if God says it, he'll do it. Moses says, no, I don't want you to create a brand new nation out of me. I don't want to be the king of the nation. I want your people to get their promise. And I'm part of the people, and I want the promise. Do I identify with that? Yeah, I do. I do. As a pastor, I identify. You know, Jesus said that the church is his bride, right? That he's the head, of the, the head of the church. And as the church goes, so do I. If the church doesn't make it, I don't make it. Do you have that affinity for the things of God? Do you have that affinity for the things of Christ and how it represents itself in the church? You need to. Jesus' prayer, as he pleads for the church, he says, my church is my bride, and I the bridegroom. I can't lose my spouse. I'll die for her. And if I live, she must live also. And if I rise to glory, she must be brought into glory with me. We need to have that. So, we need to understand that there's power in the name of Jesus. When there's power in the name of God. Moses goes and relies on God's power and his word to change his mind from destroying the people who went crazy. And we all go crazy at one time or another. And we need his forgiveness and his mercy, not his wrath. Because his wrath was meted out at the cross. And we need to accept that and allow that, that wrath that was paid for, for us, to set us free. There's power in the name. 
I don't know if I think I've told the story a few times, but I'm just going to quickly tell it and we'll wrap up. But growing up, I wasn't this strong, handsome man that you see before you today. <laughs> Not so. In high school, I was about four foot, weighed about 75 pounds, uh, walking between two rival gangs to get to high school. Had to walk to, had to walk uphill in the snow in Santa, in Santa Fe Springs, California, with holes in my sandals to get to school every day. And I'd have to go between these two rival gangs. And same thing, when I had time to go home, I had to walk through. And sometimes my friends would have extracurricular activities. I had to walk by myself. And I remember walking home by myself one time, and these cholos came up to me from one of the gangs. I think I was a sophomore at that point. I was four foot five <laughs> and 75 pounds. And they came up to me, hey, what's it? where are you from? I go, I'm from Springs right here. And they're like, well, you better put your books down because you're getting ready to get thrown down on. I go, well, where are you guys from? They go, oh, it's Catalana. And it was like four or five of them. They just started to surround me, right? They were going to just take me, take me out for my lunch money, which I never had. So I go, really? I go, do you know, uh, and I said the name. And they all took a step back. Because the name was the head of the gang. He was the man. He was the OG. The OG. Old gangster. The original. Original gangster. And he, his son was in my class. His son was an idiot. <laughs> but that was okay because I wasn't. Because I got straight A's. And he sat next to me. And I would help him. No, he didn't copy. I actually tutor him and told him, hey, this is easy. Just do this, 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 whatever. Anyway. He and I became friends. I also became friends with the son of the leader of the other gang. <laughs> he was horrible at English. And I helped him out. So now I got these two names in my pocket. And so we go, and I'm walking, and these guys are surrounding me, and I pull out the guy's name, and I say, yeah, yeah. my friend is, and I tell the guy's name. They all take it. Oh, you know him? Yeah. So when you're done with me, guess who I'm going to talk to if I live to see tomorrow? They're like, no, dude, no, no, you're chill, man, you're cool, you're whatever. Hey, you, can we walk you home? <laughs> we don't want anybody else to mess with you. Seriously, there's power in a name. There is power in a name. You have the name above all names on you. There is power in that name. You have the blood that has cleansed you from all sin. Not some sin. Not every now and then sin. All sin. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There is no other name by heaven and earth that men shall be saved but by the name of Jesus. Live it out. You have an intercessor. Jesus is the intercessor. I love what he tells Peter. I love what he tells Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. 
But, I love that. It's one of the biggest buts in the Bible. But, I have prayed for you. Oh, man. Do you understand when he says that, what that means? Do you understand what that means? He's, he, is, he is God's only begotten Son whom he is well pleased in. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me into heaven and earth. Whatever I ask of the Father, he will do. I prayed for you. Do you get the power of that? Go to him. Let me give you a little formula for prayer, for interceding. Not only for your life, but for your life of your spouse, for the life of your children, for the life of your neighbors, for the life of the lost. Here's the formula. Remember they're God's person. Number one, they belong to God. You cannot save them, but God can. God can do the impossible. God can save people that you think are the most wretched people on the face of the planet. Because here you are sitting. And here he is preaching. Number two, God, you need to remind God of great things he has done. In them. In them. Remind yourself of the great things God has done in them. And tell God about that. Tell God that if he doesn't do this, his name will be compromised. Lord, your name is going to be, you're going to get another black eye, Lord Jesus. Tell God that his covenant with them will fail. Lord, fulfill your promise in them. Let them finish strong and not weak. And then finally, will you partner with them and say, Lord, I'm connected with them and I hurt for them. So much so, that I'm willing to put myself down for them. That's what Jesus did. I love them so much, Lord God. They are my bride. I cannot live without them. I will die for them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Unconditional. Can you do that? Can you do that for your friends? your family members. I know, I know, I have family members that are wretched. Can't stand to be around them. Nobody here in this room. Just want to clear that up. Seriously, I, I have some, and they're just not good people. But God commands me to love them. I have to put myself aside and love them. That's hard. That's difficult. That, you know what? That's just impossible. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing something impossible so that you get the glory. I don't got a golden calf in my life that gets the glory. I hope you don't either. God can do great things if we will let him shine. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for giving us this time together. 
to learn what it means to have a hedge of protection around us that you have created. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood is the hedge, that your spirit is the hedge, that your spirit talks to us and tells us when we're going to try to create an opening in the hedge. Father, I pray that we would truly let ourselves live in you and not on our own flesh. Give us the power to do so, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. lies beyond the stars those dazzling heights too vast to climb I got so high to fall so far but I found heaven as love swept low my heart beating my soul breathing I found my life when I laid it down Upward falling, spirit soaring, I'll touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. What treasure waits within your scars? Gifts of freedom gold can't buy. I bought the world and sold my heart. But traded heaven to have me again. My heart beating, my soul breathing. I found my life when I laid it down. Upward falling, spirit soaring. I'll touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. Find me here at your feet again. Everything I am, reaching out, I surrender. Sweep me up in your love again and my soul will dance on the wings of forever find me here at your feet again everything i am reaching out i surrender sweep me up in your love again and my soul will dance on the wings of forever Everything I am 
Reaching out, I surrender. Sweep me up in your love again. And my soul will dance on the wings of forever. Upward falling, spirit soaring. I'll touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. Lord for joining us this morning we pray that you would break any chains that we have this morning that we would no longer be slaves to whatever is binding us thank you Lord you unravel me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again to a family. Your blood flows through my veins. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I am a child. God, I'm no longer. I'm no longer a slave to fear, and I am a child of God. Thank you, Lord. We are a child of God this morning. We're no longer slaves to fear, Lord, to anything that holds us back from seeing you this morning.
could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child. Why don't we stand up and sing that again? You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am a child of God. Full of faith, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. No longer. First John 1 John 1.3 says this, verse 1. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, I'm sorry, it says this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. I love that. We are his children. And to be his children, we need to put on his attributes. His attributes first is love. Those who love are of God, for God is love, he continues to say. And just like the song says, we can act out of love. Whereas Cindy and I were talking last night, you can act out of fear. You can either act out of love or you can act out of fear. And God commands us to put fear aside for in love, there is no fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And this morning as his children, we have transferred our life to his life. Now it's our job to live his life every day with that big C on us to do the best we can with what he has given us, not under our own power, but by the power of God. And I know this morning there may be some of you that are struggling with that. How do I do that? How do I do that better? Or you're looking back and saying, I didn't do that at all, and I haven't been doing that. And you're kicking yourself. Stop. You're a child of God. God has forgiven you. God has empowered you. God wants you to move forward and not live in the past. As the Apostle Paul said, you know what? I don't live in the past. I forget what was behind me. I now look forward to the higher prize. I look forward to the goal. I look forward to being all that God has called me to be. And I'm going to live that life. Let's live a life looking forward. Father, I pray for each one here today. And whether they struggle in their heart with things that are going on around them or in their mind or even in their own flesh, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit and by the blood of Jesus, Lord, that you would remove that concern from them. That, Lord, that they would take upon them your yoke, which is your, your burden, which is light. And that they would choose to react and act out of love and not fear. 
Lord, remove the fear from their heart, I pray, as they trust in you, the one true God. Because, Lord, we belong to you. We're your children. Lord, let us to put on your attributes, your character. May we act in your love. May we be one with you, Lord, as Jesus is one with you. For that was his prayer for us. He prayed for us. Lord, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. May it be so. And may we allow you, Lord, to go before us and take care of our circumstances. May we trust in you today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you're in need of more prayer, as we close in this last song, if you would like prayer for anything, come on forward. And, uh, myself and Cindy and, uh, and Stephen, we can pray. We can pray for you. But let's praise the Lord. Amen? Let's praise Him with this last song. That drowns sorrow. There is an ocean deeper than fear. The tide is rising, rising. There is a current stirring deep inside. It's overflowing from the heart of God. The flood of heaven crashing over us. The tide is rising, rising. Open prison doors, set all 
the captives free. Spring up the well, spring up the well, spring up the well in me. Nothing can stop this joy. We're dancing in the streets. Spring up the well, spring up the well, spring up the well in me. We come alive in the river. We come alive in the river. Spring up the well. Spring up the well. Spring up the well. Spring up the well. Spring up the well in me. We come alive in the river. 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 Be the church and be a great representative of Jesus Christ this week. Amen? Amen. Amen.